Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and many of you from our church family are very aware that uh, uh, my story tends to overwhelm this day, and so it's going to be my privilege to evacuate my story, to leave it alone as kind of a symbiotic uh, demonstration of what I'm going to call us to today. We're going to kind of step back from what I would normally speak about, and we're going to talk about humanity as a whole. Today, in going in that uh, different direction when it comes to the national observance of the sanctity of human life, you know, we're going to do this because of the disorder and division in our nation currently. I believe we need to look deeply uh, into this focus with a larger lens of sanctity of human life because honestly the chickens have come home to roost. So let's pray and ask that the Lord would open our eyes to his word and his instruction to us thinking through and evaluating and understanding how do we move forward in such a chaotic time. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we come with open hearts, but also we come, Father, as those who have had a, a lifetime, no matter how old we are, of uh, hurts, abuses, discouragements, injustice, and some of us much more so than others. We see before us a nation currently that is going through struggles that we see usually on the news pertaining to other countries around the world. Yet, Father, you know that this is not an uncommon story throughout the history of man. So I beg, Father, let your spirit and your word show us and encourage us and enlighten us as to how do we move forward in 2021 and how can we value human life? We lay these things before you. Walk with us, teach us, instruct us, guide us. We pray all these things in accordance to your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So last week I gave you the state of the church address. And now today I'm going to talk kind of about the state of the state. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me ask this question. Why are we in this position within the narrative of our nation right now? Why is there so much anger? Why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much division? And until those things become the lesser, until we see a radical change within our society, I can promise you a rather draconian future. It will not stay static. We will not just be stuck in this current situation. It will become worse unless we change how we view life. And so looking this morning at our nation and looking even within churches, I felt compelled to move in a different direction 
Interestingly enough, I posted an article about uh, the generations and progressives versus conservatives uh, in church. And I, I ended up receiving a very interesting feedback from people all over the nation. And it was fascinating in some of that feedback, one of the responses talked about how the church stridently wants to promote a pro-life agenda. But when we promote pro-life agenda, we don't talk about all of life. So that kind of is the force behind my shift today. In many ways, normally I would talk about this subject. I'm chairman of the board of Options Health, our local pregnancy crisis center. And I'm passionate about that issue personally and biblically. But we're going to move that subset to the side because it's not just about that. This individual who responded to my post, there's some truth in what they're saying. I don't necessarily agree with all of what they're saying. I, I hate that statement, right? Right? When people are talking about, you know, things that are revealed or things that are discussed, they always have that safety valve. Well, I don't necessarily agree with everything this person says, you know, and usually it's about an author or an editorialist or something. But I think that the more I engage on that level with people that are friends, family, individuals from the church, the more I find there's so much difference in opinion. And it fascinates me to know, well, what is it that shapes that opinion? We're going to have to dig into that today to answer this question about the value of life. And how do we respond to the state of the state? So let me ask this question. Why are we in this position in our country? And by the way, I, I posted something just advertising the service, and I had three slides up there. And, and you can go back and look at it on our, on our Facebook site. Uh, but it, it's not just about our nation, my friends. It's about all that we have heard going on in the world around us over and over that seems to be the, the news headlines that we're a little bit sterilized from. And now those chickens have come home to roost. And it's fascinating. What I've heard recently is that there are individuals that I'm connected to on the subcontinent of Africa that are laughing because they're saying, you guys criticize us and we're in your headlines all the time for revolutions and, and coups and, and violence and destruction and broken governments. You look a lot like us now. Isn't that fascinating? So how does all this fit with the value of life? Well, we have to ask ourselves this very important question. Why are we in this position? Sin. Plain and simple, it's sin. When we study and look at the history of mankind, I'll, I'll give you um, just two examples. Many of you may not have any idea what I'm about to share with you, which is tragic because if we always heard it from our history teachers, right? Because we never enjoyed history. And so we said, why, why is it we got to go over all this stuff? Why is it we have to memorize this? And we always were told the same thing, right? And you're probably saying it in your mind right now. So that we learn from our what? From our mistakes. And yet what's fascinating is we rarely are afforded the opportunity to see mankind change in any substantive way. 
we always see the violence come back. We always see the greed come back. We always see the people uh, being subjugated by those who seek power and glory for themselves. We have seen it throughout the history of mankind. And there's a reason we see it. The world has no definition for it. That's why it's so cyclatory, right? But scripture describes this as sin. And until we recognize that it is sin and we repent, and we're going to hear that from our key passage today, there will be no fix on a historical level. So what do we do? Pastor Jerry, you're telling me there's no fix. This is hopeless. It's not hopeless. I didn't say that. But there's no fix in the sense of this being gone forever until heaven. Until Christ comes back, until sin is put to death, as long as sin resides, we're going to have the challenge of dealing with the fallout. So two things that I'm going to mention. One, some of you will remember when I say Mao's red guard. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because here's what we do in our culture. We love to reference Hitler, don't we? Like everybody knows Hitler. There's probably some of you when I say Mao, you're like, what is that? Like a condiment? You know, you, you, you like, who is Mao? Mao le- makes Hitler look like a, like a square dancer, okay? do doing and bow to your partner and... You don't really get that image of Hitler, do you? But when you compare what Mao did with Hitler, a lot of the same techniques, a lot of the same approaches, but Mao's is still active within China. Mao struck up the younger generation. He incited them because they were poor, because they had substandard of life. And because they saw individuals, including their parents and their grandparents, as having more than they had. And Mao's philosophy came in and said, you know, we need to make their uh, a sense of equity or equability to all. And if that's going to be the case... We have to take radical steps, and I just encourage you to go back and look at the history of the Red Guard, but I'll give you just a a, a quick shot of, if you think that the violence that happened in the Capitol or in our nation this past year was horrendous, it was, but the Red Guard was incited by their leaders to so much violence that they actually turned in their own parents to be executed, and they thought they were doing the right thing. I encourage you, go online and read the testimonies of some of those individuals that are still alive and what they think now, based off all the promises that the politicians gave them. How did that really change? But in order to do something as draconian as just systematic elimination of individuals, there has to be something systemically wrong with our value of human life. Let's go back to Jesus' time. The Roman governor 
or prefect or uh, king, just, just to be clear, at the time of Jesus was Herod. And Herod was insane. And Herod was bloodthirsty, so much so that if you were in Herod's family, you either needed to plot a death plot against him or you needed to get out of the country or you were going to be dead yourself. And Herod, during the time of Christ, because we hear from so many, I hear from so many, how bad things are right now. We've never seen it this bad. Jesus has got to be coming back soon. Can I just tell you, the king over Palestine at that time, when he even got a hint or sniff of anyone within his family wanting his power, he had a mock trial, and then he summarily had them executed. Now, that makes Herod one of those individuals who probably doesn't value life very much, right? But values himself and values power over life. It doesn't stop with Herod. Herod believed that his daughter was plotting against him, and so he put her on trial. Fascinatingly enough, her own mother became the witness against her that gave permission to have his daughter executed. You think about the insanity of that, that mom and dad conspire against me to have me killed. No value of human life. Now, many of us might say, how can a nurturing mother do that? Because she feared, it came out later through the testimony of someone else, that she feared for her own life and that it was either you testify against your own daughter or I kill you. She ended up being killed anyway by Herod. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, and I could go on and on and on and on about how civilization justifies for their own personal power and preference, devaluing life. Here's just a way to get your head wrapped around it. Here's how we end up going down that slippery slope of not valuing human life. Is it when opinion becomes more important than objectivity, or self becomes more important than sacrifice, or power becomes more important than peace. Do you remember going through the grocery store or you're at a park and there's a kid screaming? Just losing it. And, and maybe, maybe the one you're thinking of actually was hitting mom or hitting dad. And, and sometimes in that scenario, you know, the kid hasn't had enough sleep or it's their first time out of the house or it's an infant and they're hungry or, you know, it's not real comfortable sitting in that diaper. You know what I mean? I'd be screaming too. But many of the times when we think about it, the child is simply screaming because they're not getting what they want. And who do they take it out on? Not just the parents, they're taking it out on all of us. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, come on, please, get, get your child under control, right? I have to share with you, that kid grew up. That kid grew up. And there's a reason why we have a problem valuing life that then 
in essence becomes part of our values or lack of values that leads to the violence, the discord that we see all around our nation right now. That kid grew up. Let's go to scripture. I wanna, I wanna dive into what the scripture has for us in this area and, um, and share with you about uh, James 4. What does the Lord say about this? Because he's very, very clear. And, and it's not just that this is one passage or the only passage. There are many passages I could have gone to, but this is very succinct and gives us a good dynamic with this. So we're going to cover half of it right now. And then in a few minutes, we're going to come back and share the answer that James gives us to the problem that's before us, the problem of not valuing human life. James says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That sounds like what we're looking at to me. That sounds very much like the challenges that we see, whether it's in households, whether it's the kid at the store, whether it's in our own personal marriages or connections and relationships, or whether it's on a national level and in the news. Our passions are at war within us. You desire and do not have, so you murder. What a true statement. You covet and you cannot obtain. Covet is the idea that I want this, or I want this, or I want this, which is so much of what we have heard in the narrative today. Is that if one political party loses and they don't have the power that they want, they covet that power. And then it reciprocates and then it reciprocates. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And I think we go to the next slide here. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Again, at the root of our devaluation of human life, it has everything to do with fulfilling my passions, my personal opinions, preferences, versus caring for those and sacrificing for those around me. And so he says... You do not have because uh, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we'll stop right there. Let's look at the facts. Let's look at this word push. We, we hear this over and over and over the pushback, right? We hear all about the pushback. And that you don't, you don't let somebody walk all over you. As a matter of fact, you need to push back. And we have heard, whether it's within our households, whether it's in our schools, whether it's in media, whether it's from our politicians, words count. And when you start using certain language, and when you start encouraging on a certain level, eventually there will be a response, much like the parent who does nothing about their child 
screaming in the store. This is called a tacit response. What does that mean? I have family members right now saying all over the place, oh, here he goes again, his, his pseudo love for vocabulary. A tacit response is much like when Paul, who at that time was Saul, and there was the stoning of Stephen, or the martyrdom of Stephen. It's, scripture tells us that Saul was there, and that he laid his cloak down. He never said, kill him. He never said, take up the stones and finish the job. In our modern day politics, we call this plausible deniability. And the evening news is filled with it. And over and over, we have these tacit responses, just like the parent who may not agree that they like the behavior of their child, but unless they do something to correct it, that child grows up and they're aware of it. They're aware of it. So what do we do about these tacit responses? Well, we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge that when we hear this word push, there's going to be a response eventually. We know that politicians know how to use crowds for their advantage. My question to you is, are you tired of being used? Just like the Red Guard, who now those, those young people have grown up and they've seen how they were used by their leaders at the time and how their lives were destroyed because their leaders had no benevolent desire to make life better for their people. They simply wanted to subjugate their people and control their people. We see this idea of ad hominem, right? Character assassination. You know, the events at the national capital were tragic. And I'm not talking about last week or two weeks ago. Absolutely, that was tragic. But this proves my point about tacit responses. You see, over the past several years, there have been many protests at the Capitol. There have been many intrusions into the Capitol straight and directly to senators or congressmen's offices to where those individuals feared for their lives and they had to go out the back door. And they were protesting because of what they believed in and because of their opinion. They truly believed that they were fighting for something that their leaders were leading them into moving in that direction, into pushing. There was an attempt to overtake the Supreme Court is my understanding. The National Guard was called out at that time to protect monuments. Churches were burned in our state capitol. But you didn't hear much offense over that. Monuments were defaced all under the guise of racism. And yet, if you can explain to me why the Vietnam Memorial or the Korean War Memorial would need to be defaced because of racism, I'd be interested in knowing. Versus just violence and incited violence, this idea of pushing back. You know, the kid grew up. Now I can share as well that the actions at the state capitol two weeks ago 
were just as saddening when it comes to valuing human life. But my friends, the way that we value human life, and I'm gonna give you a, a list here in just a moment, the way that we value human life is we recognize where these problems come from. And James shares with us that it has everything to do with our own hearts and, and our own desires warring within us. I'm gonna give some specifics to that, but we know that this idea of tacit approval is a game played by many people. And, and you may see it at work, you may see it in your relationships, you may see it within your politicians, you may see it within your churches. How a society owns a horrific blemish on history, but never brings it up or learns from it is beyond me. We, we look at the offenses and the problems that came out of Nazi Germany, and, and, and that's okay, that seems disconnected. Let me share real quickly with you one that was tragic that's very relatable to our city here in Concord, California. As I was prepping this message this week, I thought through, well, how does that affect our community? And I drive up and over a, a, a road that goes up and over a hill and, and you come down and, and, and you can see all these bunkers that are part of what was called um, Port Chicago uh, Armory or Naval Weapons Base, right? And the story is that during World War II, our government brought many black soldiers here and it was the black soldiers that were commanded to load the ships. And I watched a documentary on it by personal accounts of individuals that were there that day that were part of it. Over 350 people died in one moment because of lack of training. All of them, well, I don't know that all of them, but the majority of them were black. And all three testimonies that I listened to about that day had everything to do with every day you were loading weapons, you knew it could be your last because we knew nothing about what we were doing. There was zero training. Now let me ask you something. If you're dealing with high level ordinances or firecrackers, either way, there's a level of danger, and if your kid is going to play with a firecracker, aren't you going to give instruction, or maybe even just say, don't play with the firecracker, right? That's new school, right? I come from old school. Here's some firecrackers, kid. Go have some fun, right? But we know enough that if we value human life, we can look and see the inevitable possibilities, right? How many safety protocols do you have at work? We have put helmets on everything, I'm waiting for the day where we put a helmet on a turtle because we're so safety conscious or safety oriented, but not that day. On that day, over 350 black men lost their lives instantly in what was described as the single greatest blast until the nuclear bomb was dropped that has ever happened. 
So all of World War II, all of those bombs, the Blitz in England, all of that, what happened in our backyard here that systematically eliminated in one moment 350 individuals was the single largest blast, all done because there was a disregard and lack of value for human life. Now, I can't say that that happened by our government officials, our military officials, because they disregarded the lives of the individuals that were there. You could make an argument in that direction. Whether those individuals are black or whether they're white or, or whatever color, what happened was egregious. And it was because there was not a proper value of human life. We see it all around us. So when and how do we make this stop? So let me run through some of this real quickly and see if it, it rings true for you. You know, by the way, if you want to see and do a quick study or quick read on this, um, go back and read the book, the classic book. You may have done it in high school, Lord of the Flies. And a secular writer sees what James is talking about within our own hearts. A secular writer sees what's in our own hearts. So let me give you a, a real quick perusal of how bad this devaluation really is. I have this book by Nancy Percy called Love Thy Body. And it's a tremendous, tremendous book. Um, I, I gave it out to... Uh, uh, it was referenced to me by uh, a fellow board member uh, uh, with Options Health, and then um, we went ahead and gave it out to everybody on that board. And I encourage you, pick it up. Pick it up and read it, because it, it helps you understand. What I'm about to read to you, I'm not certain that you've ever heard before. But don't you always wonder in those movies where there's the, the evil scientist? How did the evil scientist or the evil doctor become an evil doctor, right? Doctors are good people, right? Scientists are all good people. We can trust them because it's what? Science, because it's medicine. Here's some quotes on human life. James Watson, co-discoverer of the DNA double helix, advocates waiting three days after a baby is born before deciding whether it should be allowed to live. The rationale is that some genetic defects are not detectable until after birth. His colleague, Francis Crick, agrees. And here's a quote from Francis Crick, one of our lead scientists in our nation. You ready? These are the people that are leading the protocols and the policies that helps shape our national health care. He says, no newborn infant should be declared human until it has passed certain tests regarding its genetic endowment. And if it fails these tests, it forfeits the right to life. It forfeits. I don't think it's forfeiting its right to life. I think maybe we should let it get old enough that it could sign its, its waiver or disclaimer, where it says it forfeits. But you see what happens there is a tacit approval of infanticide. 
If you're going to call for the ability to systematically kill a child out of the womb, at least have the conviction to say, then we as a society, you see what happened with that statement? Took all the moral blame and cast it on the child that you're going to execute. You see, child, it's your fault you're born with a defect. And so we're sure that you choose to forfeit your life. Not even honest with what he's calling for. Peter Stinger says even a three-year-old is a gray case. After all, how much cognitive functioning does a toddler have? Brothers and sisters, these are the people that are the leaders in science. So be careful. You want to know why we're in the state that we're in? We trust that sin has not danced with our leaders. I have a statement. You may have already seen it. And that statement is, stop waltzing with the evil one. You want to know how we fix this? Stop waltzing with the evil one. Be willing to stand up and through maturity, through responsible and loving approaches, call out devaluation of human life. Otherwise, we're going to repeat history. We're not going to do anything new. We're just going to repeat history. Another statement comes from just a few pages over. Uh, the author, um, Philip K. Dick, uh, he's written movies or books that have been translated into screenplays like Blade Runner or Minority Report or Total Recall. And, you know, each of those books deals with a moral struggle with the value of human life. And it's fascinating. Until I read this, I didn't realize that all those movies were made or written by the same person. And so this author really personally is calling us to pay attention to deeper thinking. Much like James is doing. Much like Jesus Christ has done. And so he wrote another book that you haven't heard of or seen. It's called The Pre-Persons. And it's interesting, the dynamic and the premise for his book. Let me read real quickly. He's talking about where do you draw the line as to what makes someone a person. And so I'll just fast forward to the premise. It says, up to the age of 12 then, children were pre-persons and could be killed for any reason. It's fascinating, that book has never gotten any run. Nobody will make a movie about that book because he crossed a line that infiltrates into our convenience because much of what we deal with, much of what James was talking about, why are we at war with one another, has everything to do with devaluing a person. And that's Piercy's whole premise for her book is that much of the science and much of the um, 
social studies or sociology that's going on in our colleges today and in our higher levels of learning has everything to do with systematically justifying self-preservation. And so if that's our leadership, that we can do anything we want or encourage or tacitly approve anything we want to the value of keeping and sustaining my own power, by the way, this is the underlying current of abortion. This is the part that people don't speak about. That abortion has everything to do with inconvenience of a child. And what's fascinating to me is rarely do you hear men speak up about this. Let me just prove my whole point about the devaluation of life, of human life, because of my personal power and my personal preference. You see, it has been proven over and over, and you look at the statistics, how many men approve of abortion. Of course they do. They've got everything to win and nothing to lose. Men have the opportunity to go out and do what they want. With I thought we were trying to move away from the, the abuse, the sexual abuse of women at the hands of men. But we don't discuss this issue that men primarily who are supportive of abortion do so not because they're thinking of the value of human life, they're thinking of the value of their own life and how inconvenient this child would be for them and that if you didn't have abortion, I would have to, not me, but but that individual would have to change their lifestyle and couldn't go out for hookups night after night after night. You see, abortion affords whatever I want without the responsibility. And if I can get a doctor to tell me that it's not human, that it's not a person, Piercy's whole premise. If I can get a doctor or a scientist to tell me it's not human, hopefully I just made the case that we need to look a lot deeper into who these doctors are and who these scientists are. Because hopefully you were shocked at what you heard about lead scientists out of that quote. Just because they're a doctor doesn't mean that they value human life the way that they should. So hopefully I've made a premise about why we are where we are. James made a very clear understanding. So what do we do? Well, the kid's grown up. We need to value human life over our opinion, preference, and power. And so I can just hear the cheers right now of all you pro-lifers. Yes, yes, pastor, preach it. You know, the thing I'm most proud about with Options Health, is that we don't just preach the value of human life. We get in the trenches and we help the man and the woman. And that's one of the accusations that has happened over and over. You want to tell me how to live my life. You want to keep me from aborting this child or when it comes to healthcare or when it comes to racism or when it comes to socioeconomic issues. You don't want to listen to those who want nationalized health care because they need to pull up their bootstraps and they need to work hard. 
There shouldn't be any freebies for anybody. And not only that, my money's going to take care of people that aren't even citizens in this country. I have to pay for my health care. You've heard all this before, right? Here's my encouragement. You're probably not going to like it. My encouragement is to walk in the shoes of somebody who has a completely different opinion than you do. Until we start listening and until we start appreciating and valuing, see, this is how we do it on a tacit level. We're not going to go out and give approval for somebody to commit a violent act. But what I can do is I can disregard your opinion. I can devalue your opinion. I can character assassinate you because you're just wrong versus my opinion. What do we do? We have to value human life over our opinion, preference, and power. And the Lord speaks to it and gives us instructions on this right out of James. So, scripture needs to be the guide, number one. This is how we fix it. By the way, it's not a comprehensive list of fix, but if we did half of this, we'd be doing much better. So, number one, scripture needs to be our guide, not society. It's fascinating because in that discussion that, that I was paying attention to uh, of the, the progressive versus the conservative, you know, we want to label the church the church, and, and the idea is Scripture is God's word. It doesn't need society to fix it. It's simply God's word. We don't need to have a debate as to whether 2 plus 2 equals 58. Right? But somewhere in here, we have said, hey, we need to fix scripture. <laughs> we need to make it more relevant to our problems today. The kid grew up. We need to look at history. When we formulate our ideas of the value of human life, we need to look at history before we set our convictions into stone. We need to guard our heart. You're going to hear the scripture in just a moment out of Proverbs 4. Guard your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. We need to be honest about ourselves and about the people around us. So much of the time, we refuse to be honest that we could be the problem. That we could need some change or transformation. We could be more loving. We need to practice we need to practice these efforts we're going to see out of James in just a moment. We need to practice it at home. We need to practice it at work. We need to practice within our churches. You're going to hear what derivative J means. It's my new thing for 2021. Hashtag derivative J. And I'm actually saying it as a positive. Most people look at derivatives as, yeah, why don't you just go with the original? Because it was the original, right? Nobody likes a copycat. Unless we copy Christ. You want to fix this? Look to Jesus. Stop trying to win the argument all the time. You know, Jesus didn't try to win the arguments. He just did a microphone drop statement and just kind of let it lay there, right? Just beautiful. But he loved the people, even those who sought to kill him. His final words were looking down upon those who spit on him, who pierced his side, who hung him on a cross. 
He looked upon them and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Are you and am I ready to approach those who have completely opposite agenda until we are, until we're ready to love those individuals like Jesus did? This is never getting fixed. Stop trying to win the argument by living a life that people want to follow. Rather than try to win the argument, just live a life like Christ and people will want to follow that. Rarely do people change because you want an argument. And above all else, pray. Above all else, pray. Because when you truly seek the Lord's will, when you truly seek his face, he's going to give you the instruction. Let's look at the instruction now. Let's go back to James. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, A couple verses before that. There's a Proverbs 23, right? Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. The Hebrew word there for wellspring means to come out of. We have to guard our hearts that we do not let sin come in, right? Do not waltz with the evil one. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of what? Sins. Many people remember the picture that came out several years ago. I think it was a 12-year-old uh, black boy. It may have been from, from the Ferguson riots. And he had walked up to a police officer and just hugged him. And he was crying. You know how much that picture resonated with people and had a healing effect versus all the images of burning and violence? I hope that kid grows up and becomes a leader for our nation. Actually, he already has, hasn't he? That's who we should be. That's who the Lord desires us to be. Understand the power of love in the midst of the ugliness. And love values human life. Next. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? In love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Scratch out all the other things I'm talking about. We may not even make it through the pandemic, right? Right? We, we have individuals that have moved out of, of California because they can't handle wearing a mask. The mask broke us. <laughs> really? That's how fragile we are? That the mask broke us? I'm just going to go on record for saying I think the, the mask thing is idiocy. Personally. Because it provides a false sense of security that I'm protecting you when stuff gets out from masks and this and that and the other. But you know what? I'm not wearing it right now, but I told all of these people to wear their masks and I was wearing my mask today. You know why I do that? Out of obedience to Christ and out of love for others. Right? I may not think, but remember that's my opinion. I've only been wrong once in all my years with my opinion. So I feel pretty good about my record. 
But brothers and sisters, if we can't, if we can't survive the mask controversy, how are we going to do this when it comes to deeper issues? Derivative J. Next. So back to James. So James says, look, this is why you do this. This is why you do that. This is why it is a mess. And it's because you are waltzing with the evil one. Your concern is for yourself. Your concern is for your personhood, your priority, your power. He says, you want to fix it? Then do this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will what? He'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let me just share this real quickly. I know a lot of people that, that like to command the devil to flee from them. They lost one important part of the process. They failed to draw near to God first. And if you want to see a perfect resemblance of this, read in Acts about the seven sons of Sceva who got whooped up <laughs> really bad <laughs> by a demon. Because they failed to draw near to God before they tried to, and it was all about power. That's why you go to scripture. It's right there for you and I to see. And the answers are right there. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And let's go to the next slide to finish this out. Life is a gift. It's not a convenience or inconvenience. If or, or when we devalue life, we degenerate into reckless and violent societies that manifest through historical embarrassment. I hear that word a lot these days. Embarrassment, right? Embarrassment for our nation. I've been embarrassed for mankind for most of my adult life. My family is incredibly embarrassed by my sense of humor, but they have to live with it. Embarrassment that is usually the result of a power struggle. We have a decision every day, power or love. And you see on the slide there, it says, uh, historically change happens two ways, violence, or sacrificial love. My challenge to you today is derivative J. Derivative J, what shapes your opinions? What shapes your priorities? What shapes your view of power? Please, my friends, don't be disillusioned. If you know Christ, then you can have that peace that he promises. If you practice love, it doesn't mean that the whole world's gonna clean up. But what can happen is you can influence and change the world around you. So here's my challenge to you today. In a moment, we're going to have prayer, and we're going to have a moment of silence for all the tragedy that's happened this past year. We're going to have a moment of silence and prayer, asking the Lord to help us walk through a reassessment of our value of life, especially this week. But before we do so, it's so important that you don't just view this as just another speech. Most change in life doesn't happen because of a speech. It happens because people are inspired by, for, for one reason or another, and then they do something different. So I'm going to put this challenge out to you 
this week. Do a hashtag derivative J. How are you going to demonstrate the love of Christ around you every day this week so that you can show, not just speak, but you can show your value of life? I'm making a pledge from our church right now. We are going to donate either to Bay Area Rescue Mission or maybe through our care ministry or something else by the end of this month to a uh, ministry or support for those who are suffering because individuals do not value their lives. It's going to be different than Options Health. In a moment, I'm going to do a shameless plug for us to also be involved with Options Health. Yeah, but, but my pledge to you is if I'm going to ask you to do Derivative J, we're going to do something outside of just the norms of what I normally call us to do, and we're going to get into our community, and we're going to make a difference. There is that pledge from the church to support someone in need that is suffering, that has life, and is human, and is a person. But the much more deep effort here will be connected very simply to the idea of what? What will you do? What will you do? There's the stories that will matter if we truly are derivatives of Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then shortly after, uh, or immediately after I pray, let's just spend one minute in silence over just the tragedy of our nation, and that we would obey what's given to us out of James, that we would purify our hearts, we would reach out to him, we would wash our hands, we would repent from our involvement, tacit or not, in the lack of value for human life. Let me pray. Lord, you have given to us life. We believe it comes from you. And yet we have a history as people to be selfish, to seek power, to covet, to murder. And at its very essence, that happens because we do not value the life that you have created. Lord, we repent. We confess the sin of devaluing the lives around us, whether we agree with them or not, you have created them and they are to be valued. Help us to be a people of love so that healing can happen.
Amen.